I feel a great weight when I stand up here, and <laughs> I don't mean that theoretically. <laughs> I mean that when I come up here, there is a weight of authority that happens. And Dorman, it's because you don't just have a pulpit here. You have a pulpit in heaven. See, a pulpit is a place that you speak from. <laughs> it's not a piece of furniture. And a pulpit is a place of authority. <laughs> you can stand on a soapbox at the street corner and have a pulpit <laughs> and not be a great piece of furniture. And I don't take uh, lightly whenever I stand behind this thing because there's a responsibility to go with it to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, today, I would uh, like for a short time, um, I want to, I'm not as much a good of a teacher as what I am as an encourager. <laughs> And what is that, um, an exhorter, uh, Kent, don't make an exhorter mad. <laughs> when they've had enough of you, they just cut you off, don't they? You wouldn't listen to me, I'm tired of dealing with you. It's over. <laughs> I've, I've not come to that place. <laughs> Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Um, for those of you running the screen back there, Rod, I appreciate all the work you do back there. Uh, and all the, <clears throat> for helping the... The, the media point, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let's start with verse 12. Um, 12 is a um, number, it means the government, order, government of God, and um, I've really always been intrigued with the book of Hebrews, um, because it's like the book of Leviticus that has been taken and set right in the middle of the new covenant. <laughs> you have all the Pauline epistles and... Um, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, all, all these wonderful books of the new covenant and the new, new life that we've been given in Christ. And then we run into the book of Hebrews, and the writer of this book um, really begins to unfold how the new was hidden in the old and how the old was fulfilled in the new and how they have come close together. They are mirror images of one another. One reads from left to right, the other from right to left. Isn't that right, John? Hebrew reads from right to left, isn't that? You hold them up to the mirror and they mirror each other. Um, but in the New Covenant, we don't have the shadow or the promise of that new thing. We actually have the fulfillment of that. And His name is Jesus. Saints, there are two greatest events in human history. When Jesus was resurrected from the tomb... And the day of Pentecost, whenever his spirit came to dwell, not on just in this earth, but in us and upon us. It's a wonderful thing to have his presence in us and have the spirit living in us when we are born again. But it's a powerful thing to have him when he is upon you for works and service. Uh, let's start with verse number 12. <clears throat> Therefore, strengthen the hands, um, and I'm reading from the, uh, it's New King James, if, if you're putting a, a versions up there, Rod. Um, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will set the, see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Saints, the biggest open door for bitterness and unforgiveness in your life as a believer is when you step out of grace 
and go back into law. Or when you live between the two and try to mix the two. Hmm. That is the open door to where offenses and bitterness can come in. Because the grace of God always covers a multitude sin and short shortcomings but the law always takes the finger and points them out and says you did they did she did he did whatever it did the pointing of the finger of the law the letter of the law killeth but the spirit gives life saying she cannot have the fullness of the holy spirit under the mosaic covenant it's impossible he was not poured out then you have it only under the covenant of grace the new covenant of abraham that shed uh, ratified in the shed blood of Jesus, uh, springing up to cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." Oh, had Esau lived under the covenant of grace. Hmm. I believe that when Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, that he got to talk to Esau. And Esau got to see the fullness of the face of Christ. Hmm. It says here, he sold his birthright, that when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently for years. What that's telling us is that Esau had no place left to call home in the realm of the Spirit. Esau had no rest for the rest of his life. And if you remember, Esau's grandson was named Amalek, where which the Amalekites came from, with which Saul refused to deal with, and they were always a consternation and a source of contention and bullying for the children of Israel. So things, people, things closely associated with the kingdom, when you shut the door and you say no to a move of the Holy Spirit, Two or three generations later, you find apostasy is entered within the DNA that God created to be holy and to be called unto him. The Amalekites were distant cousins of the children of Israel, Esau's grandchildren. They were Jacob's great you know, descendants and his great-grandchildren. How much is it we see a move of God that comes and then two generations later, it winds up dead or in apostasy because no one sought to enter into the rest of Holy Spirit. I like the Paul Harvey. My dad used to love him. The rest of the story. There is the rest of the story. And it is the rest of God. And it can only be entered into. In the grace of God. And ceasing from religious works. That have been instituted by the covenant of Moses. So in verse 18. He's talking about the glorious coming. He says for you have not come to the mountain. That may be touched and that burn with fire. And to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And what we're speaking of here, this is speaking of Mount Sinai. There are two mountains that we're talking of here, Mount Sinai, and as we'll read a little bit later, Mount Zion. We had two mountains which represented two covenants, which represented two women, Hagar and Sarah, which represented two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and they represented two covenants, the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant of Abraham ratified in the blood of Jesus. Tell me what happened when Abraham had two covenants living in his household at the same time. After three days, it's like fish. It stinks. 
Someone needed to go. <laughs> there wasn't enough toilet paper. The living expenses were too high. They didn't have enough rent money coming in. There wasn't enough food. There was contention continually between Ishmael and Isaac. There was 13 years between these two children. And anytime you see the number 13 come around, be on the lookout. It usually means impatience and rebellion. <laughs> Remember, the Apostle Paul was 13 years from his conversion until the church, New Testament church, finally had a place for him to minister. In that 13 years, I believe that Paul was having all this revelation of Hebrews, or whoever the writer of the book was. <laughs> Is Paul, well, if you say, I believe it, Norman said, I kind of tend to agree with. Whether it was or wasn't, we can all agree that the Holy Spirit authored it through someone. <laughs> someone probably, if not Paul, close to him, that... Uh, the, the, when this revelation comes, you can't have two covenants living at the same time in the same household. Saints, that's why there's so much conflict that would happen in the life of an individual believer. When you are living with a mixture of law and grace in the same household, you don't know whether you are a sinner saved by grace or whether you are the righteousness of God forever settled by the blood of Jesus. You can't live the just-as-I-am life... <laughs> And then live, oh, how he loves me at the same time. To do that, there is confusion. And you don't know which one that you are. And I believe that that's what those verses that were written in the New Kingdom said. I would rather you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. When you are lukewarm, he said, I would spew you out of my mouth. I believe that this speaking about mixing law and grace. Hot being, uh, hot being the new covenant, cold being the old covenant. When you mix the two, our Heavenly Father doesn't know how to deal with you because He's a God of covenant. Am I going to deal with them with grace or are they going to have to go over here and kill animals again? <laughs> because when you mix the two, you know, it's blessed assurance, but let's put some blood out here on the sidewalk so we can all be happy. Now, we may not do that naturally, but there's a lot of that that goes on in the realm of the Spirit. It's still killing people. Sometimes we wind up killing each other. Amen. Amen. I know because I have done it. I would have been a good cross maker and a good cross applier. I just didn't really want to get up on there myself. I'm going to let someone else go up there and do the work for me. You know, and the mixture of law and grace, just be, there's always going to be messes to clean up. Messes. Because under grace, the Holy Spirit is there to cover. Love covers a multitude of sin. Under law, everything gets exposed. Remember, saints... What covenant is it better to live with and live under? I much prefer grace. I live most of my life in a mixture of law and grace. And when I found out what it was to be freed from religious bondage, and some, a good portion of it happened in this building 22 years ago on the floor right over here somewhere with Tana and Tony Poole rolling around, being drunk. And you were, you, Janet, you and Dorman were there too. Uh, I wasn't the only one misbehaving in during those meetings. I w- the freedom from religious bondage is absolutely one of the most beautiful things in the world because you can breathe a sigh of relief. There's no one any longer watching over your back. There's no more rule keepers. There's not a principal. There's not a boss anymore. The Holy Spirit is the one who is well able, I believe, to be the boss at church. (laughs) When he's allowed to, he does it with such grace that people don't get offended or get their feet stepped on. And if they do, there's the ministry of deliverance 
to help overcome it. Isn't that right, Norman? <laughs> uh, let's see. Verse 18. Uh, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire, into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word not be spoken, for they could not endure what was commanded. For so much as the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now, one, your leader, the one carrying the covenant with him, says, we got problems and I'm afraid to go. you got problems and you got issues. <laughs> Stay at home. Don't go to work that day. It's not going to be a good day when you get to the time clock. <laughs> but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Saints, Jesus' blood. You know, Abel's blood still cried out from the ground under the old covenant, under the new. Jesus' blood is speaking better than what Abel's blood did. Oh, thank you, Father. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Saints, in this context right here, and Dorman, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I believe that this shaking that he's referring to right here is the shaking <laughs> For us not to live in a mixture of law and grace. See, you can't live at Mount Sinai and hear the voice of God. You're subject to listening to the voice of Moses. Because, see, nobody else wants to go up to the mountain. Now, Moses, you go for us, and we're going to stay down here, and we're going to misbehave while you're gone. See, when there's too much time and money on the hands of people is kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. They have misbehaved in the last few months, <laughs> and some of them have gotten in trouble for it. Mine and Lance's mom is kind of upset about one of them. He got set out for a few games. <laughs> Misbehaving has gone on for a long time. <laughs> Too much time and not enough grace and spirit always leads to misbehaving when you live under the old covenant. <laughs> the new covenant of grace the voice of the Spirit, like the wind, the fresh wind of the garden in the morning in the mist, will come and speak to you something. I think it's much easier to have Holy Spirit come and speak to you a truth and have Him to reveal it to you, and it becomes written on your heart that is no longer stone, but it's flesh. Versus having to come over here and have somebody give you ten thou shalt nots with twenty-nine addendums added to it. <laughs> thou shalt not... And then thou shalt not thus and thus and thus and thus and thus. When you live at Mount Sinai, you're always living under thou shalt not. Well, we better not do that. I don't know about that. Don't misbehave. It's okay for you to go to that meeting and that camp meeting, but when you come back home, don't misbehave when you get to church. Because that's for there, but it's not for here. Well, I don't know, but I didn't spend all that money and that time to go over there just to come home and be the same way as I was. Did you, John? <laughs> I went to have something happen. 
So we, uh, let's see, shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by, way, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is consuming fire. I believe more of what he's saying of these things that were shaken, these things that are being shaken as of things that are made. I believe these things that are speaking of are, that, are, that were made was referring to the institution of worship that was under the Mosaic Covenant, the tabernacle in the book of Leviticus. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about Mount Zion here uh, because Mount Zion was really established in the middle of the Old Covenant with King David. Remember, he went and brought the Ark of the Covenant back and established, and Justin, you talked about it this morning. Thank you. That opened the door for what I was going to teach. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant back, remember, it had been stolen by the Philistines under the ministry of Saul and the Eli, the corrupt priesthood that didn't know any different, knew something had happened and it was wrong that the gold box was gone. And so it kind of pilfered around and caused a lot of problems with the Philistines. And I think it was called hemorrhoids and tumors, wasn't it, Dorman? I think, I think that the Philistines had a hard time getting that piece of furniture to fit in the living room. <laughs> Wherever they put it, there was problems. Well, Obed-Edom came along, and that thing wound up in his house, and all of a sudden, Obed-Edom was one of the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Here we have a Philistine who was not even linked to the covenant of Israel, who was an outsider who knew nothing except that he knew that when that gold box showed up, everything got better. <laughs> That healing came to our house. Our crops looked better. The wells ran fuller. Our enemies were at peace with us. Don't tell me he didn't touch that thing. I'd have been all over that thing. I mean, I like pretty furniture. I like expensive, ornate furniture. I would have liked that box in my house. It was a wooden box about this tall, about that wide, with cherubim on it, covered with gold. And that box meant something. That was the abiding presence of God under the covenant of Moses. So David took this box and he brought it back to Jerusalem. He had a few hiccups along the way. He had a few issues that he had to deal with. But then again, David was subject to the covenant of Moses. So they had to carry this thing, the Levites. It had to have the, only a certain group of people could move the box. So they moved the Ark of the Covenant on a trail of blood. If you go and read the story, like every 10, 15 paces, they sacrificed an animal, either a bull or a ram or something. So from Obed-Edom's household, I think that was where it was at the time. I could be wrong about that. But wherever the Ark was at, when David got it and took it back to Jerusalem and put it on Mount Zion, there was a trail of blood. <laughs> now, if you were in the livestock business... You had it good that day because the market prices went through the ceiling because David paid whatever for those animals. I mean, it was like 30,000, 40,000 animals that were slaughtered in this whole move. That's a lot of meat. Ooh, that sounds like a barbecue to me. He got that Ark of the Covenant there at Zion. And as you read this morning, he just pitched a tent over the Ark out in the open and it doesn't really say, you know, the architecture of anything. I believe he put out that, that there to protect the box from the elements, from the rain, wind, and dust, because it still was a wooden box. It was covered with gold. He pitched that tent and instituted 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week worship. 
there were a lot of worship teams that were on the government payroll. Stop and think about it. The word says that the land had rest for 40 years. As long as David reigned and as long as the Ark of the Covenant, there was that worship going around the Ark of the Covenant, the land had rest for 40 years. I can tell you that when you go to Mount Sinai, I can read where they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And only two of them came out that their carcasses didn't fall. And it was Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else fell into the spirit of unbelief that the ten spies grabbed a hold of. And God, you know, he fed them, he clothed them, he watered them, he protected, and he nourished them. He nourished them and, and was there, you know, they didn't have Obamacare. They had God care. <laughs> and their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, but they drank from the well that was the rock that was Christ, and they died in the wilderness. Not one time did they get to touch that Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> they were subject to the law, and look what unbelief did to them. Saints, the key to the old covenant is obedience, but the key to the new covenant is one thing. It's what you believe. It's belief. It's what you believe about the covenant and it's what you believe about yourself and how you're related to that covenant is whether you stand righteous before the Father or not. <laughs> oh, saints, I've sensed in my heart this huge move in charismatic Christianity in this area where we live. I'm just going to put it here in West Texas, Eastern New Mexico to bring people back under the subjects of rules and regulations, of ordinances, of feast, uh, of all these things that are pictures of Mount Sinai and where the grace of God does not live anymore. I feel such a push of it to go back under performing these things in order to think that we are closer to God and it doesn't get you any closer to God than what it did with Moses. And Moses was the only one to get to go up on the mountain. All those people had to stay behind the mountain, had to stay on the ground, either else they couldn't go or they wouldn't go. I think it was a lot of both. And look what happened when Moses went. Everybody started misbehaving and a golden calf showed up. And how many of them got swallowed in the earth, Dorman? It, it was a lot of insurance claims that day. If you were a mortician, good for business. <laughs> But you know what? Uh, all these families got swallowed up. All because under the law, your heart is stone under the law. You cannot hear the voice of the Spirit when you live under the ordinance of Moses. Hmm. See, Moses was a good man. He had a lot to shoulder and he had a lot to bear. But Moses was a picture of something greater to come. And in the middle of that Mosaic Covenant, David established this worship where everyone could have open access to the presence of God. All you had to do was go to Mount Zion. The worship that went on, I, oh. You see, there was a blue flame that burned between the wings of the cherubim. When that blue flame burned, that signified that God's presence was there among everyone. When the blue flame went out, I, I would get concerned. Hmm. If you couldn't find a candle to light, then get to worshiping. <laughs> because that's what fueled the flame was the worship that went on. And so we see that after David died, Solomon took over and the ark went back behind the veil <laughs> when Solomon took over. And then after Solomon's ministry, the ark kind of disappeared and, you know, it hasn't really physically been seen from since then. I personally think the thing still exists. Perry Stone says he's seen it. <laughs> You know, I believe Perry because he knows all those priests in Israel. He says it's buried under the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem somewhere. Of course, today it would be a beautiful historical artifact. It would cause great controversy. 
I mean, Ishmael would really be upset over this one. (laughs) And it would be of great historical and monetary value. But the thing of it is, that's not where God lives anymore. You can take the box to your house. It would up your insurance premiums. You would have a lot of activity. And you could probably charge for everybody to see it and get your money back. But that's not where God lives. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the gold box where he lives. He used to live over there, but he has changed addresses. He now lives at Mount Zion. Mount Zion is a place in Jerusalem. I've never had the privilege to go to Israel. You know, Mount Sinai was a great thundering mountain that's still in the Sinai Desert. There's not a whole lot that goes on there except wind and dirt and dying. I don't even think many weeds grow there. It's that desolate. But where David pitched the ark of the, co- the tent and the ark of the covenant at Mount Zion, there was life and there was peace. But the main thing, it says, the land had rest. Well, what were they resting from? We read in here, it says, resting from your labors. Resting from the work of the old covenant. Saints in Moses' tabernacle, there was no place to sit and there was no music. There was no worship in that tabernacle except the high priest once a year would go in and offer the blood offering at Yom Kippur and he had a rope around his foot in case he had misbehaved. They had to pull him out because nobody could go in and get him. I just wonder how many accidents they had. There, uh, You know, with the bells quit ringing, jerk the rope. He misbehaved, no telling what he did. He's been doing it for a long time. Was it smoking, playing cards, or drinking? Was it gossiping? We don't know. Whatever it was, he did it, and he got smoked. But you know, you don't read that in the tabernacle of David. You read where David ministered to the Ark of the Covenant. Most of the book of Psalms was written by David, you know, beneath the wing, the shadow of the wings. It's talking about the wings of the cherubim on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where David penned most of the book of Psalms for us, is in the presence of God, sitting at the foot of the Ark of the Covenant, ministering prophetically to the Lord, and these songs came, and that's why they are called Psalms. We still read them and live by them today. That was good. Psalms 100. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, For our God is a consuming fire. In verse 13, we go to verse number 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly or unknowingly entertained angels. Under the covenant of grace, there is a tremendous amount of angelic activity. Look how Peter got out of jail, the ministry of angels. I believe that we have yet to see and that we are on the threshold and the open door in the open heaven of angelic intervention uh, up until what we have seen before. Um, My mother can testify that she has talked to two angels before. She didn't know it at the time, but years later she realized that she had a visitation of an angel that came on this earth to comfort her when she was in a time of need. I believe that we are the greatest threshold of angelic intervention and angelic ministry on this earth. I can tell you right now, you know, North Korea needs an angel to come and visit him. Mr. Oon needs an angel to come wake him up at night and speak to him the word of God. He is misbehaving. It's nothing but David and Goliath. That's all it is. It is nothing but the armies of the enemies of God taunting the armies of Israel. 
Amen. We speak peace to him right now. Speak peace to North Korea. These middlemen with mouths that won't shut up, Lord, I thank you shut that stuff up and let the truth and the peace of God prevail over in southeastern Asia right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, let President Trump, as he sounded a trumpet, let it get louder in Jesus' name. Let it bring a total confusion to the camp of the enemy. I love it when he talked last week. He said what he said, and all of his employees said, well, it wasn't we didn't say it. He did. <laughs> wasn't, they'd say, what did he mean? Well, you heard it. He said what he said. He meant what he said. If you don't quit misbehaving, you're going to get in trouble. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I have a little object lesson today, and I want to show you a little bit kind of what, what happened at Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. Um, I have a sack here of a... My mom has a, a peach tree in her backyard, and they are white Georgia bells, and they are good. My peach tree didn't make this year because I had so many last year. I had to prune it back so much, but it will make next year, but mom's did. Hmm. These peaches are good because I went, and they were picked off that tree yesterday. They're ripe, and they're juicy. Kent, why not you come? Wait, stop. <laughs> Hold on. See, it might sign out. There's a barrier down there. Hmm. You are not holy. You can't have the peach. Now, it doesn't matter. You only one person can go to God. See, you can't enjoy this peach. Mount Zion. I'm going to. <laughs> Moses got to eat the peach. Mm. Ooh, that's juicy. Mm. Mm. See how that seed comes out? Mm. That's good. I see you down there, but you can't go past that barrier. You have sinned. You are unholy. You have not done all the verses of just as I am. You didn't give enough money last week. That's right. You need church discipline. You are unholy. You have brought sin on the whole camp. It stopped for seven days like Miriam. Mm. 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 Here's another one. Mm. Oh, that's good. Y'all, you can't come any farther. You're going to get smoked. See, there's a lot of smoke and fire going on, a lot of trumpets, a lot of activity. But only one person got to go up and enjoy the presence of God. But at Mount Zion, come here. You can have them now. There we go. If you read what David did at Mount Zion when he brought that tabernacle back, it says everybody that came and helped him in bringing it back, he gave them gifts of um, figs and cakes and uh, I think some bread. The long and short of it was, I don't have all the recipe exactly right. Instead of people feeding leadership, leadership fed people at Mount Zion. Instead of people having to bring something for their sin offering, the leadership said, here, I'm going to give you something and thank you for worshiping today. That peach is good, isn't it? Yes. You've got to go to Mount Zion. Or you can go a couple streets over from your dad's house because the tree's still got a bunch of peaches on it there in Bovina. Saints, today, I want to encourage you and I want just want to lovingly release over you 
the grace of God to not live between law and grace, but to live under grace. Grace doesn't mean that there won't be shortcomings or that you won't make mistakes, but you don't have to spend the rest of your life making up for it. Just because a marriage failed when you were younger or just because you got in, into something you didn't need to be involved with doesn't mean the rest of your life has to be spent making up for a shortcoming. Hmm. Under grace, hmm, there is room and wiggle room to receive the grace of God and make up the difference for what your humanity cannot. Saints, we are human and we're always going to be human. And that will not change until we're taken away from this world. But until then, the grace of God is here to always cover. The, the grace covers a multitude. Love covers a multitude of sin. I just want to speak over you and I want to lift off of you any cumbersome works or any things that would burden you down with the burden of legalism, of always looking inward instead of looking upward. If you look inward, you know what? You're always going to look and say, well, I did this or I shouldn't have did this. And there's always going to be a list of do's and don'ts when you live at Mount Sinai. But when you come to Mount Zion, the place of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, a place in the realm of the Spirit. See, that peach is good, isn't it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I tell you, you know, you, could, you, you know, you can argue all you want to, but I tell you, when you put that peach in your mouth, you don't really care what Moses did, but you got to eat that peach. Amen. I declare in Jesus' name that your peach tree always be full. And that the neighbors and the rats and the, and the cats and the birds won't come and your fruit won't fall to the ground. But you will always be able to enjoy the goodness and the abundance and the harvest and the fruit of your labors. Your retirement accounts will be taken care of. There's enough. There will be plenty. I don't care what the stock market says. It's based on debt and greed to begin with. Plug into the new kingdom, the grace of God. Plug into him. There's always enough. If he took care of the Shunammite widow back then and there was plenty in her cupboard there will be plenty for us today feed the presence of God with your worship feed him with your love feed him and pull into grace right now if there's offenses that, that, that have bound you up and you just want to think, well, what could I have done different? What could have I done that would have made it to work out different? I just want to release you from that right now. Quit trying to work it out. Just grab hold of grace. Ask God to come and speak to you by His Spirit. And He can help you mend those fences that need to be mended in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm done. Hallelujah. <laughs> You want me to read this? or the, the, You want me to read it? Okay. I, mean, I love this Melchizedek blessing because it's not something that's going to happen. It's something that is happening. Amen. I hope you receive the word with grace today. I meant it in the, in the heart of grace. I hope you received it as such. And I just want to release over you the Melchizedek blessing. blessing. The Lord blesses you and he keeps you. The Lord causes His face to shine upon us and He is gracious to us. He lifts His countenance upon us and He is our peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.